The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. As of March 1st, our 2020 FBS team profiles are available to our Tier 2 patrons. The team profiles include individual player ratings for more than 11,000 players, regularly updated depth charts, injury reports, transfers, and power rankings for all 130 FBS teams. Visit patreon.com slash Edge to join. Welcome to the CFB Winning Edge Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. You can follow me on Twitter at Bogman Sports. And I'm joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. You can follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. And Xavier Trish, uh, the king of uh, terrible takes on uh, Twitter. You can go find him and yell at him at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. Fellas, how was your weekend? <laughs> what did Xavier do? Yeah, I I like, <laughs> he has been talking about Skype like the last four or five episodes or Skype. Uh, he's been talking about Twitter. You could tell I got enough sleep last night. Uh, he's been talking about Twitter the last four or five episodes. Like, get at me. Come bring me <laughs> your, your terrible opinion. So I'm just trying to stoke the flames. All so right. he seems uh, bored. I Let's get him. I, I, I appreciate that. I had been sort of, you know, putting putting the sheet together for the show the last couple of hours. And so I haven't I haven't checked on Twitter lately. So I wasn't sure. If you know, he, he had, I didn't know if he had said something. I, I not to me. You never, so. you never know. Like, like but I'm said, not a Tennessee got, fan. Got a so, <laughs> yes, that's what I'm talking about. You never know. So go find him on Twitter <laughs> and see what, uh, see how he's tearing down your team. Uh, but today <laughs> we're talking about the the ACC. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then I think the next episode, Nick, we're going to do a, a fun draft, a first year head coach draft. That's going to be a lot of fun. And then we're going to get into the G5 after that with some ACC. Uh, but we got some news here and uh, just started up. Master Teague, who is expected to take over for J.K. Dobbins at Ohio State, seems to have an Achilles injury, and it could be pretty serious, right? Yeah, it definitely doesn't sound good. I mean, it, uh, uh, Ohio State, like most places out there these days don't really give a whole lot of details on injuries. And, and all we really have heard is that uh, he's unavailable for the rest of spring and their spring practice covers about six weeks. So uh, to go ahead and say that somebody's unavailable means it's, it's a fairly significant, you know, something we don't, we don't know the extent necessarily. Uh, reporters have said that they saw him just sort of hobbling off the field. So that makes me think, uh, I've, I've heard it's an Achilles. I've also heard lower leg. So uh, I, I don't know if there's anything definitive out there yet. But if he was able to sort of hobble off on his own, that makes me think it's not a torn Achilles. Me and my uh, medical degree sitting, you know, however many miles away. <laughs> uh, but you know, it, it's it's something because he was the front runner to be the guy next year that is a position where they lack a little bit of depth um and they've already had to shift you know a few guys around and and so it's uh you don't know if it's something that's going to impact the season the last thing i saw earlier today was uh coach said that that uh it looks like he'd be back 
in time for fall camp in August, but you know, you, you never know. So uh, fortunately running back's a position where, you know, chances are you're going to be able to, to find somebody to, to carry the load and, and for Ohio state uh, they, they probably, they're going to be fine. I mean, they, they've got options and uh, wouldn't be surprised if somebody becomes available uh, as far as a grad transfer or something, they, they bring in somebody to help boost. But uh, yeah, you never want to see, your project, projected starter go down in the spring. Uh, you don't want anybody to get hurt in the spring or, or in practice for, at all for that matter. But uh, yeah, I think it, it could be significant or something to watch. Yeah, it sucks. I mean, it's uh, the bad news that we don't want uh, in the off season, just like we're getting all kinds of bad news out of spring training in baseball right now. Uh, spring games, uh, this kind of stuff happens, but uh, not, I mean, it just, it kind of sucks, but Xavier, I don't think Ohio state's going to have much of a problem because they're just tripping over five-star replacements, right? Yeah. It's, it's one of those situations where you hate it for the player because obviously, you know, he's not a guy who has gotten a lot of playing time, having to wait his time behind JK Dobbins. Obviously, you know, he's looking forward to being, you know, the face of at least the backfield going into this year. And obviously him getting hurt sucks. For him, but for the team, Ohio State's probably just going to keep on chugging. They're going to put in another player uh, and keep it moving. The, the good thing about this injury, and I will a little bit of a silver lining, is that how early it is coming in the year um, gives him that opportunity to rehab a bit. Um, obviously, we'll see how serious of an injury it is, but it happening in March rather than it happening in like August per se, right before the season starting is a little bit different. Um, it also allows him the opportunity to use a gray shirt. If that's, if that's uh, an option he wants to take because of how early it is in the year and because he has yet to play a game. Uh, so he can get this year back um, with the injury. So that's just a little silver lining. Uh, I think it's a, it's an interesting point. The, the, this happening early in the calendar year and, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that's, I think, you know, I, I, I'm sure other people have this opinion, but it seems like that's why these spring practices are happening earlier and earlier every year is if something like this were to happen, now you've got more time to, to, you know, rest up, heal up, get surgery, get rehab, all that sort of stuff. And, and, you know, I've heard a lot of people complain like, oh, geez, why are people starting spring practice in February and March? But, you know, if something like this happens, then you're you're pretty happy that you did uh, instead of if you were waiting until, you know, April or, or something like that. Then uh, if if he goes down the first day of practice, then, you've you know, it's happened a month later or six weeks later than it would have normally. And that could eat into the season itself a little bit more. So uh, I don't you know. For, for reasons like this, I think, are one of the reasons we're seeing earlier spring practices and probably why it's not going to move in the other direction anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, you start practicing in the spring so you can last till the fourth quarter in November. I mean, that's just your basic answer as far yep. as that goes. But uh, we also had uh, Nebraska wide receiver J.D. Spielman uh, take a leave of absence from the team. He's not going to practice. Uh, this is supposedly going to be temporary, but it's never something you want to see. I mean, uh, we pointed out uh, last week uh, the guy most likely to win the Heisman in the Big Ten is, of course, Justin Fields. But uh, second on that list, we said Adrian Martinez, and this is his number one target. Yeah, it, it it's uh, another situation where it's just kind of an unknown. I mean, you hope everything is okay with him and, and hope that he's uh, just going to you know need to take a little bit of personal time and bounce back and, and 
be back to uh, playing football in the in the fall. Uh, for Nebraska, it's it's from a football standpoint. Uh, Xavier kind of alluded to this in, in the other situation. It, it's something where you get an opportunity for somebody else to get those reps. And, and, you know, we all know what J.D. Spielman can do. He started 26 games. He's been very productive, uh, arguably the best receiver that Nebraska's had the last two or three years. So um, you never, you know, uh, you never like to see somebody uh, step away that, you know, would prefer to be playing. But um, it gives somebody else an opportunity. And, and Nebraska's got some interesting pieces. They could do uh, Wandale Robinson spent most of last season at running back, but he can play receiver, has played uh, different roles in the offense for Nebraska already. And, and maybe it's an opportunity for him to uh, to get more reps, spend the bulk of, of spring as a receiver, and, and that could help their running back depth as well. So there are some silver linings, as Xavier said. Uh, but first and foremost, hope everything's okay uh, with Spielman, and, and I hope he uh, will be next soon. Yeah, I mean, Xavier, does this worry you when a guy steps away for a little bit like this, or uh, do you just kind of take it at what we're hearing right now as uh, it's a personal matter, and I'm sure he'll be fine? Well, it worries me to an extent that, you know, when you have situations like this, nine times out of ten, you don't really get any insight on what they are. Um, so from a, you know, a journalist standpoint and from a fan standpoint, you really are kept out of the loop, which is quite abnormal in this kind of uh, in the way that sports is kind of now where you really know everything that's going on. Um, and we just have to see how long this develops um, with stories like these normally you feel like there's a time frame with like injuries or with, um, you know, when they get in trouble or anything like that, there's a time frame. With these, you don't really have one, so it leaves a little bit of an uncertainty. Um, but ultimately, hopefully it, it's something where he comes back in a couple of in a couple of weeks to a month or two, you know, comes right back and is uh, ready to go. Because this is a guy who has experience. It's not too overwhelming and too uh, bad because obviously he has the reps with Adrian Martinez and he has the ability to step right in and play right away. So you don't feel like this may, is going to hurt him in that sense. Uh, but any time away from the team, obviously is a concern uh, because as we've seen with guys, uh, and I know he's not to this level, but Julio Jones didn't work out last year uh, or two years ago, and he had his worst statistical season because he decided to sit out um, minicamp and things of that nature. So, you know, things like this could be a reason why he may start sluggishly or start slow to start the year off. Yeah, I mean, I hope that doesn't happen. I've got him in uh, too many fantasy spots, so... Uh, let, let's go, JD. Get get back on track, buddy. Come on. Um, now this was a uh, huge news because I mean uh, I don't know if we care about this on most teams, but uh, David Ballou is going to replace Scott Cochran as the head strength coach at Alabama. So uh, exciting hire here, Nick. Right? Because we were very concerned about who the Scott Cochran replacement is going to be. Well, it's certainly been a, a topic of conversation, and, and it's interesting because uh, from, I, I really didn't know much about Baloo, or, or I, he's sort of a, a package deal. There's another guy coming in who's got uh, neither of them, I think, actually have the, the title, uh, like strength and conditioning coordinator, some sort of new age title. I, I don't even remember, but um, it's, it's interesting to see because uh, from what I've gathered, this these guys have uh, kind of a, a real forward-thinking uh, approach. 
uh, more analytical, more, I mean, I'm, I'm sure, you know, Scott Cochran and, and other straight coach out there are, are, are you know, scientific based and, and things like that. But it seems like these guys are a little bit more, I don't know, new school, if that's the, the way to go. I've, it's been so long since I've been in a weight room. I, I don't know all the, you know, the, the technical uh, <laughs> the terms anymore. Yeah. So, uh, but, but it, it, from what I've read, from what I've heard, these guys have sort of a, a fresh approach. And, and the more I think about it, uh, partly because, you know, Nick Saban decided to go in, in this direction and, and picked a couple of guys who are, uh, you know, have this reputation as, as being so forward thinking. I'm starting to, to come around to the belief that maybe Alabama, maybe Saban was, was kind of ready to go in a different direction. And not to say that that's anything bad about Scott Cochran. I'm sure he's going to be great at, at Georgia, and, and uh, I'm sure he's excited about his new role and, and all of that. But I'm starting to think, you know, for a while it seemed like, oh, well, this is this is a definite plus for Alabama and a setback, or excuse me, a, 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 this is a definite positive move for Georgia and a setback for Alabama. And then, you know, over the, the last week or so, it seemed like maybe that gap was shrinking a little bit. Now I think it's it's much uh, a win-win for both. You know, Georgia gets a highly respected, highly regarded, energetic guy uh, uh, to, to, you know, potentially uh, have a major impact. Um, but Alabama perhaps gets, a, you know, a little bit of new blood, a little bit of fresh thinking. And, and so maybe it's just sort of a win-win for everybody. Xavier, how uh, how how impressed are you by this uh, strength and conditioning uh, coach hire here? I mean, I never thought I'd be talking about two strength and conditioning. Come on, it's strength and conditioning coach. This is what yeah, we. I mean, if it's not this news, it's torn Achilles. We like this news. I mean, fair, but it's a strength and conditioning coach. Like at the end of the day, there's not much you can do that hasn't already been done. Uh, yes, I think it's a good hire. I think that, you know, letting a guy go who clearly, uh, no longer wanted to be there, um, and want and had his, maybe had his eyes on other areas and had his minds in two places, you know, that's never a good situation. So obviously letting Scott Cochran go and getting this guy in and, uh, is a, is a positive for them, but let's not go too crazy. Uh, it, and in my opinion, it's going to take at least two, two to three seasons to really see what his strength and conditioning is different from Scott Cochran's. Because a lot of these players, whether we believe it or not, are going to be, you know, have been trained under Scott Cochran first. And the first two years you're in college are the most, uh, are the years that you have your biggest growth muscle-wise. Um, you know, you see a kid come back after his freshman and sophomore year, he looks like a tank all of a sudden. You know, he was just a child when he left. So, you know, we'll have to wait and see even um, with him just being hired to see what his impact is on the university and with the players. Um, so, you know, let's just give us some time uh, to obviously see if this is a win-win for both schools. I think at least on the surface this is what it looks like, but uh, let's just give it some time. Yeah. I mean, I remember seeing uh, a picture, like the only guy that, that doesn't maybe go through that is Bo Scarborough. You guys remember that oh, picture yeah, of him when he was 16? Yeah, goodness gracious, <laughs> he looked just absolutely ridiculous. I bet Scott Cochran didn't have a hard time uh, transforming him. He was like, uh, "Hey, I'm here for uh, strength and conditioning." He's like, "Nah, you're good. You can go <laughs> yeah, practice you more." Me, you reminded me of uh, the the Marcus Dupree story when he was like, "Yeah, I walked into the weight room and I told my coach if I could do this much 
in the squat. I wouldn't ever work out again. He was like, do it. And he said, I hit the rep, and I never stepped in the weight room again. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't know if I would go that far, but that's that's crazy. Uh, Why would a coach make that bet? Come on. Uh, That's kind (laughs) of dumb. But uh, we had some potential – uh, transfer news here that uh, Jabril Cox, a linebacker from North Dakota State, who's uh, considered to be one of the best or the best FCS NFL prospect for next year's draft, uh, is uh, going to move in potentially to a Power Five suitor. Uh, Nick, what, what do we think? Where do we think he's going? Yeah, well, earlier today uh, there was some chatter that he'd heard from as many as thirty-five. FBS teams already, um, and I'll, I'll be perfectly honest, I, I haven't paid very much attention to uh, FCS football at, at all uh, in recent years, and so even, you know, I, I, I'm aware that North Dakota State has been this just incredibly awesome dynasty, but but uh, honestly, I didn't, the name Jabril Cox didn't register with me at first, but the more that I've uh, heard a little bit about it and the fact that he is you know, a known quantity uh, among NFL draft, uh, you know, talent evaluators and, and things like that. And that apparently he had actually briefly considered coming out this year and entering the draft that that, you know, piqued my interest and, and makes me think this is somebody that uh, we could see go to a big time program. And, and you know, the, the first thing that jumps to mind uh, not as, as, you know, quote unquote, big time probably is, is Kansas state because Chris Kleiman was at North Dakota state, uh, presumably recruited Cox coached there, uh, coached him for, for a couple of years there before going up. But if this guy is such an elite, uh, potential player, I mean, maybe we're talking, you know, uh, 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 top three rounds kind of guy, then, He's probably got his sights set on something a little more in the you know blue blood type range, and and uh, I had heard specifically that Tennessee uh, had shown some interest. Uh, it sounds like LSU maybe has shown some interest, and and that's uh, an interesting spot because LSU is starting over basically at, at linebacker. They're uh, looking for three new starters at linebacker. They're shifting from uh, a three four to a 4-3 base, even though those lines are, are pu- pretty blurry these days anyway. But right. um, uh, but one thing that was interesting, like the first story I saw about this was uh, a picture of Cox getting a hug from Bo Pelini, who was the head coach at Youngstown State, who played North Dakota State in, I believe, the championship game a couple of years ago, if, if not a semifinal or something. Uh, uh, Bo Pelini is a new defensive coordinator at LSU. So he's at least, you know, familiar with Cox. They, they you know, somewhat know each other. Uh, so that could be a very interesting fit. Uh, I mentioned uh, last week that, that we released our – FBS team profiles to our patrons this week. And, and part of that was we now have full uh, ratings and rankings for all position groups. And LSU ranks 30th at linebacker in, in the country, which is pretty high, but that's ninth in the SEC. So it sounds like, you know, they're, they're a team that really could use a player like this. And, and so that's the, the first fit that comes to mind. Um, you know, he might have an interest in, in a big 12 fit, you know, maybe a, uh, Oklahoma, they're always looking for, uh, and they just lost know, Murray uh, too. 
So sure, and and they, you know their top pass rusher is going to be gone for uh, the first five or six weeks of the season. So you know that that could certainly be a fit. Uh, Texas has a, a pretty good linebacker group, but you know they also needed some. Uh, reinforcements potentially. Can so, he tackle? I, That's what I <laughs> it sounds like it. He's I mean, a person he can that can tackle. Texas could use him on defense. <laughs> <laughs> he, can, he can tackle FCS players for sure. Yeah. So, uh, you know, th- those are just some of the purely speculative, but uh, other than the LSU and Tennessee, which I had seen reports uh, from, I believe, the Athletic on both of those, uh, that that they had shown some specific interest. But it, it'll be it'll be fun to watch where he ends up because it sounds like uh, you know a, a potential immediate impact type guy and, and somebody that was off my radar that that could have a big impact on the 2020 season. So that's fun. Uh, so what, where do you think he ends up, Xavier? I mean, I'd say he'd go to Tennessee. I think that he has to go. And before I go, I'm surprised more FCS kids don't do this. That they don't spend two years dominating the FCS and then go and transfer to another to a to a blue bud school to a to a team in the in a power five and you know at least give them an opportunity to show uh, draft scouts that they can do it on the big stage because. At the very least, all he's gonna do is probably jump his uh, his draft, you know, grade stock. up. Yeah, yeah, his draft stock up a round or two, you know, because if you can do it on the FCS level, that's one thing. Being able to do it at Tennessee, LSU, or you know, Kansas State, you know, whatever, is a whole nother monster. Uh, but I think he has to go somewhere like Tennessee. It's an opportunity to play SEC football. It's an opportunity to come in and start right away. Um, I think that you know, when you get a kid like Jabril Cox. Uh, with his kind of pedigree that he's coming with, it gives him at least the opportunity right away to lose that spot. Um, you know, and I think at a place like Tennessee, it's just right in the middle of being a good enough team to where you'll be on television enough, you'll get enough eyes on you, but not being uh, too good of a team to where you won't play at all. Like if you were to try to transfer like Alabama or a Georgia or a Clemson, where he'd sit on the bench and he'd waste all that talent and all that production he had in the FCS level. I think it sits right perfectly in the middle there. Kansas State is a little bit too far on the too far down on the totem pole for me. Um, however, if he were to go to somewhere like Kansas State and have a, an immensely amazing season that bolstered bolstered their defense, maybe helped them win a game or two, then I could see why that decision would make sense. And obviously, with having you know, North Dakota State ties and Mayfield a little bit more homey for him. But I think Tennessee is a perfect fit for him and a team like Tennessee uh, as well. Man, I can't believe you uh, are basically giving Tennessee props here. So it's on very, <laughs> I mean, yeah. are, are you feeling it's great okay? for FCS kids? Yeah, Do you no, have no, coronavirus? I, What's going on? No, here? Just, you, know, you know, Tennessee can get some love every now and then. I, I didn't say he was going to be good at Tennessee. I just said, okay, go yeah, okay, you know? all right. See, that's the Xavier I know right there. Um, <laughs> A couple other news and notes uh, before we uh, start talking about the ACC here. Uh, Texas Tech running back to John Henry entered the transfer portal as well. So, uh, Nick, you mentioned that this probably uh, clears a path for Sir Roderick Thompson to receive a heavy workload. Uh, they have a couple guys vying for a backup role there as well. Uh, Indiana running back Samson James also entered the uh, portal. He was the second leading rusher and former uh, high four-star prospect. Uh, hurts that IU depth. 
Kansas State has had five players arrested since Saturday, including safety Wayne Jones. Chris Kleiman. A couple of linebackers. Yeah, yeah. Chris Kleiman said the discipline will be handled internally. So uh, they're mostly marijuana and alcohol related. So not terrible offenses, but uh, they're going to get popped for a couple games. AKA Bear Crawls. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Tennessee starting defensive tackle uh, Daryl Middleton was also recently arrested for um, domestic situation. So we'll see what happens if he gets booted or what happens with the whole case there. LSU offensive lineman uh, Dare Rosenthal left the school for personal reasons. Uh, Another guy that was projected to be the starter at left tackle. So we'll see if he uh, comes back sometime soon. And then uh, several programs have got spring training or spring practices coming up in the next uh, three to five weeks here. But we have some uh, spring games. Coastal Carolina is going to be Thursday, March 5th. Uh, So today, as you're listening to this, um, Air Force is going to be the 7th. And then Arkansas State is the 19th. And Charlotte is March 21st. So anything you got to say about these uh, news and notes here, Nick? Well, the Samson James transferring is is a bit of an eye-opener because you would have to assume that he's going to sit out uh, when, in all likelihood, he was going to be the guy in 2021. And he got a good bit of playing time as well behind Stevie Scott uh, last year. But but Stevie Scott is the kind of guy, he's 235 pounds, he's got a track record of uh, a really high production when he's healthy. You think he's probably going to be moving on to the NFL after uh, this is junior season. But... Um, you know, I, I haven't really seen any details as to why James, James decided to uh, to leave. But if if playing time was part of it, then uh, unless he has some sort of reason to to get a waiver, uh, it doesn't seem like he's going to be on the field at all in, in 2020. So it's a little bit of a head scratcher. But uh, you know, everybody's got their reason, and and so uh, it'll be interesting to see where he ends up for sure. I mean, I'm I'm sure Ohio State is on the phone with him and, and would love to get him in and uh, add him to, to that mix because uh, he, if he were eligible in 2020, would, would be in line to get a lot of playing time probably, especially if Master Teague's not healthy. So uh, that one that one's interesting. LSU, Dari Rosenthal, uh, they Ed Odron had a press conference today and, and uh, announced this and, and said that it was temporary, said he would be back in the summer or fall. But uh, offensive line is, is a major area of concern. I mean, pretty much everything on, on the LSU uh, depth chart, is, other than receiver, basically, is in, inexperienced. And offensive line is is part of that. Uh, Rosenthal did... Uh, Get some playing time. I mean, he, he's only played a couple of games, but he made a, or three games, but he made a couple of starts. So uh, that that's a blow. I mean, it, it's a blow to depth. They really only have one guy who was a full time starter last year. Ed Ingram has has been in and out of the lineup a little bit as a guy that's got you know more than a dozen starts in his career. But uh, not having Rosenthal and, and somebody that you are counting on at left tackle, of course, is a uh, an important position. That's that's something to just sort of keep an eye on. Uh, but like we said, J.D. Spillman, hopefully, uh, whatever it is, he'll be able to, to bounce back and get back uh, to life as normal as soon as possible and, and hope everything's okay with him. And uh, last thing, you know, Kansas State, we mentioned, you know, a couple of linebackers in the in the doghouse, one of which, by the way, named Nick Allen, 
got uh, look at that arrested so yeah damn nick allen's i know i know troublemakers but uh, (laughs) i thought that was interesting it's a pretty generic name but to be honest i haven't bumped into very many nick allen's in my life so uh, it always jumps out yeah when i when i see one there's a uh there's a baseball prospect as well, I think. I got drafted in the first round a couple of years ago or something, but I sort of lost track. But I always, I always do keep an eye out on, on <laughs> the other Nick Allens. So. Uh, have you ever seen another Xavier Trish? I don't think I ever will. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, do... I'm, I'm junior, so there is there was someone else with my name, but uh, no, not many Bogmans out there, so... Um, you know, my, my name isn't crawling up in, uh, any arrest reports, you know, well, I mean, anyone else's arrest reports. So, um, I, I pay, I paid that photo radar ticket. It's fine now. Um, Xavier, anything on these uh, news and notes for you? I just, I mean, how bored are these kids? Let's just talk about it for a second. I mean, it seems like every off season, they just decide there's a, there's always, Arrest here, arrest there for marijuana and alcohol. And I'm just like, you guys just might be, you guys are just bored. You guys are just so bored. Like, pick up Sudoku or something. Like, pick up something that can actually, <laughs> you know, help, help you out in the future. Like, every every off season, And, and it's just, like, stupid stuff. It's like, yeah, well, we college. got caught with it. I mean, co- come on. I mean, I get it. I mean, Sure, we were, but we all in college, and I don't remember yeah. getting any marijuana, any mar- uh, marijuana or alcohol-related arrests, like or disciplinary actions onto me at all. Like, come on, yeah, just like, don't be stupid about it. I mean, that's just kind of the bottom line there. You I, know? I get it. Manhattan, Kansas can be boring, but like, geez, really? yeah, they've got to have a movie movie theater in there or something, right? Come on, it's um, definitely a drive-in. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> there's definitely in Kansas. I'm sure there is. So, uh, but. Uh, all right. Well, before we get to the ACC here, Nick, why don't you kind of go ahead and explain to everybody um, what you dropped on the first for Patreon uh, this month? Yeah, so we won't spend too much time usually uh, pitching listeners for the for the most part. We, we do the read uh, early on and, and at the end and, and all of that. And, and we absolutely would love uh, any support that listeners are are. Uh, interested in giving, but uh, usually we don't try to hit you over the head with it too much. But this is sort of a, a big thing. I mean, this is our our FBS team profiles are you know the the bread and butter, the bedrock, the, the whatever. I mean, that's it. It is what CFB Winning Edge is is built on. Are our, our uh, individual player ratings? We've gone through. Uh, we have a, a formula that adjusts uh, a player's talent potential for experience and career production and we've got that for over 11,000 players across all 130 teams so we've got those individual player ratings we add all those up that gives us uh, strength ratings for the roster as a whole for individual position groups we're able to uh, put those uh, add those with other different ratings that we've got that are of course available in each team uh, profile you can see how each team stacks up from a team performance grade from the previous year how they each head coaches rated um, all, all of that gets thrown in and we're able to uh, build overall power ratings power rankings that we use to project point spreads and and that's sort of how we keep score once the season starts you know are our ratings uh do they make sense and and we do tweak them this year 
the ratings we've turned down the experience portion i was overrating experience was given a little too much credit to guys that were seniors uh or or even juniors in, in some cases uh that hadn't really you know stepped on the field for whatever reason or, or just hadn't been productive so far we were projecting a lot of those guys you know say it was a, a four-star guy or, or even a five-star guy but for whatever reason maybe he'd been injured and, and you know just hadn't uh played much those guys were still getting rated as elite players, even though they hadn't done it on the field quite yet. So we were seeing some, some instances where that was throwing some of our team ratings off. And, and, you know, some teams we were uh, saying were too strong. Some teams were not saying were strong enough. So we've gone through, tweaked it a little bit. Uh, you'll see that overall, uh, a lot of our ratings are, are a little bit lower than they were in, in the past. We had too many maximum rated players. Uh, too many guys were getting hundreds, and, and now that's that's really pretty rare. I think we've only got uh, maybe a, a, a you know dozen or, or twenty guys across all positions that were uh, hundred rated. At, at it's this Madden point. now. Remember when? Pretty much. I, yeah, I think it, Madden only had. Uh, Madden and NCAA, I don't think there ever was a 100 rating on NCAA. I don't think you could get to it. So, right. uh, But I think the first 100 they ever gave, if I'm not mistaken, was to Devin Hester for speed. So, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, so uh, le less 100 players. I like that. It, it's harder to get to. I, I like that. Sure, yeah. And, and, and so, the you know, we had, had reasons for why we did the the other way, but because we do, you know, we want the the production to count more than just the experience, and and uh, it's always been a learning curve. So uh, we made that adjustment, and, and hope it's going to pay off this year. But anyway, we we've gone through, we've got the 2020 projected depth charts for all 130 teams. That includes. Uh, the 2020 recruiting classes, like I said, it's 11,000 players across all the teams. Uh, we update everything daily. Uh, you know, we, we try every 24 hours any injury news, any transfers, any, uh, you know, if, if I read something out there that says that a particular player is, is uh, you know, making a real push to start at left guard, try to incorporate that. So uh, I'm not going to catch everything all the time, but every day I'm in there uh, making all those updates as, as much as possible. So we try to, to keep it as, as you know, update for, for all of our patrons as, as humanly possible. I, and, and I just, I want to ask like, what is the typical day when you're doing this stuff? <laughs> I, I mean, I know no day is typical of course, but like, uh, yeah, and you said it, this the the sheer numbers that you said eleven thousand uh, players rated in this system is just incredible. I mean, so I know you worked really really hard to get this done by March first, and you succeeded. Which you know, usually when I uh, grind, put my nose to the grindstone and want to get everything done, it's five days after the date I set. So I'm I'm uh, extremely proud of you because I know you're diligent, and detailed, and all of that stuff. And it it's hard to hit deadlines and be diligent. So uh, I, I thought you did an excellent job by getting all of this stuff ready for the first. Uh, but what was a typical day in the offseason when you were trying to prepare this? Like how how many hours a day did you spend reading articles and uh, finding all that stuff uh, to get all this set? Well, so uh, fortunately, the, the, the good folks at 247 Sports 
have done a lot of the the legwork as far as rating these guys out of high school. So uh, that helps from, you know, it's pretty easy to calculate the grade. Now it, it took me, geez, basically, I don't know. Even uh, copying to, to, <laughs> it takes forever. I mean, sure, sure. I mean, but when I went through and, and changed the experience, uh, that was, you know, for 130 teams, I just had to go through and every time there was a 100, had to move it down to 93. Every time it was a 95, move it down to 91. That took me, you know, seven or eight hours in, in one day. So, it, it, you know, things like that do add up. But that's for, when your eyes okay. bleed is at the end right. of those days. I, okay. I know about those making, you know, just lists and, and uh, stuff like that in rankings and all of that. It's just, do I really want this guy ahead of that guy? And you kind of lament those tiny little decisions. I, I bet it's it's not as painstaking as that, but it's just a lot of, you know, a lot of legwork. Oh, well, there have been plenty of times I've dreamt about, you know, <laughs> cutting and pasting and dragging and uh, control C, and control V, control C, oh, control man. V. Yeah. It's, you know, there have been times where I'd be, you know, going through and, and so, uh, what, where all this comes from one, you know, we, we started with our 2019 profiles and then updated all of those as far as games played, games started, all that. I'm, I'm going through the, you know, the official team roster. I'm going through the official, uh, stats page where the most FBS teams will, uh, publish a, uh, participation chart. So you'll show, you know, Miles Brennan played six games last year or whatever it was, but zero starts. Joe Burrow uh, had 15 games, 15 starts. You know, I'm, I'm going through and doing that for every single player, adding that to the mix. And then if, if a team out there doesn't publish that or it's not in their game gotta notes go or not somewhere else, got to go find that somewhere else. So that that's part of it. Uh, as far as... You know, the, the injury updates, the personnel updates, all that. It's uh, I, I basically try to follow as many important uh, or, or, you know, beat writers, things like that, or, or team sites and, and all of that. And anytime I see news come out or an article I want to read uh, on Twitter, I will email it to myself. And so I build up a stack of, you know, 15 or 20 or 25 emails a day. And then first thing in the morning, I'm going through reading those things, you know, making notes, making changes, if there's a transfer, all that sort of stuff. 247 Sports has a transfer portal uh, aspect, which has been very helpful. So uh, it's, it's a lot of that. Uh, and then just scouring, you know, the, the stat pages, scouring the, uh, the rosters, uh, trying to catch if a guy falls off the roster for whatever reason. I mean, we, we, some of the ones we were talking about earlier, we hear, you know, Rosenthal stepping away or JD Spillman stepping away, but uh, there are plenty of guys that just fall off for no good reason that we, that we know, you know, they had a, a personal situation or they flunked out of school or, or whatever. And, and those guys disappear, try to catch those. Um, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it never stops basically. <laughs> uh, but you, there, there's a lot more of a, uh, just sort of go team by team. Just, just what is it? You, you eat an elephant one bite at a time. Just that sort of, just that sort of thing. What? So, I've never heard that either. <laughs> heard that? Wow. How, how, do, how do you eat, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? I, I mean, it, got 130, got 130 teams. How do you, 
how do you tackle them? Just one at a time. One just at a time. Away. Yeah. I mean, it's a good saying. I've just never heard it. I know you, yeah, you've lived in every state in Providence <laughs> and in province and uh, county in, in America. So I, I'm, I'm assuming that that is where, where would you say that's from, Nick? Where was, do you remember not hearing sure. that? I, I hear things every once in a while and, and file them. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It sounds like it's a Mississippi saying. You know what it I mean? Could be. Like, it could uh, be. I, I spent a couple of years in Mississippi. It yeah, yeah, be. exactly. We know. So, uh, <laughs> um, was there anything else to go over? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just wanted to ask you about your typical day there. Yeah, I'll, I'll try not to, to drone on too much. But so, so what are released to our patrons? And, and the reason I was shooting for March 1st, uh, one, that's uh, at least two months earlier than we had it done last year, which which I'm very proud of, and and we've had some longtime patrons, guys that you know, guys and gals that have been with us for uh, a couple of years now, and and uh, have continued to support us even during dry spells. So you know, when I'm not posting uh, articles or anything like that on Patreon, or or not you know showing uh, what all is being updated. Those people are still sticking with us and, and want to uh, to to get the most value out of what they are uh, contributing to us. So try to get it done as, as quickly as possible. Uh, and basically, what we released on March first was exactly you know the same amount of work that was done, uh, same amount of information that was done, and was able to be used throughout the 2019 season. But I'm adding more and more. So adding a schedule component that includes preseason projections. So you'll be able to see our projected point spread for every game of the year on that team page. Those are still under construction, but they're in the, in the process and, and hope to have those done uh, in a couple of weeks or so. Uh, you'll be able to show, you know, the, the matchup uh, one team's offense versus each opponent's defense, uh, their defense versus each opponent's offense, where, you know, individual talent edges lie. Uh, that's something I wanted to add. We're adding special teams this year. Special teams wasn't something that was uh, incorporated into our ratings from a player standpoint last year. We did have a team performance aspect of it, but actually going through and listing all the kickers, the punters, the kick returners, all, the, all of that this year. Um, we've got offensive and defensive coordinator ratings. Those are still, I uh, mentioned before, our head coach ratings are sort of uh, undergoing some changes but those will all be listed on our team profiles once everything is fully up to date. Uh, I've got unit strength plus minus. I, I've included the 2019 position ratings for all positions and then shown uh, if that unit has gotten stronger since last year or is gotten weaker and by how much. There's actually a number next to that. So you'll be able to see like, wow, LSU's quarterbacks this year, Joe Burrow being gone, they're down 11.82 points at the quarterback position. That's huge. So th those are some fun things that uh, hopefully are very helpful to our patrons. And, and if you're interested in, in those, and, and I did a, a full write-up when I released it on the first. So uh, if you're interested, go to patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. You can join us there as a tier two patron. You get access to these uh, team profiles, but then uh, you'll actually be able to read all the, the stuff that's been added, all the new things. It looks like I've got bullet points here of 
10 different things that are new in 2020 that weren't available last year that are either under construction, soon to be completed, or um, are something that will be available in the next month. So uh, very, very excited about it. Try not to talk about this stuff too much. Uh, I understand if you fast forwarded a while ago, but um, yeah, the, 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 this is the, the main thing that we do. Uh, at CFP WinEdge, very proud of it. And uh, if you're interested in seeing it, check us out. And uh, we would love your support. And and thank you so much to all of our longtime patrons who've made this possible, helped us uh, hire some freelancers to help with some of the input. You know, I didn't do it all myself. I've, I've had uh, a team, a small team of, of people to help as well. So um, we, we very, very much appreciate that support. And uh, we hope, uh, you know, we have more supporters coming. We, we welcome you. All right, thank you, Nick. Now we're going to go take a look at the ACC. And uh, when we're starting out with the uh, 2019 end-of-season rankings, I mean, uh, just looking, well, actually before that, the preseason projections, we were pretty big on Florida State. I mean, we had Florida State going 10-2. Uh, and two. Nick, that was probably the biggest whiff as far as the ACC goes, right? Well, and and... Going ten and two is, is a little different than our our projected. We actually had Florida State uh, projected as the favorite in ten games, seven of them in the ACC. Basically, everybody that they played other than Clemson. But when we go through and, and simulate, you know, based on uh, the winning percentage, projected winning percentage of each game, we had Florida State winning seven and a half games on average. So it it was a big miss because Florida State was. Uh, favored in the preseason double-digit games, and then it certainly didn't play out that way. But if we look a, a little bit deeper, uh, we weren't as bullish on Florida State. There were a lot of toss-up games in there. But I, I personally, I, I think, was most disappointed in Syracuse. And I think a lot of people were disappointed in Syracuse. Some people uh, perhaps you know, saw that, that 2018, they weren't quite as strong as, as double-digit wins looked. Our numbers were, were pretty high on them. We, we really liked their uh, defensive line. We liked uh, a lot of the things that the offense had done, so they had a pretty high team performance rating. Dino Babers had, had pulled off some upsets, which drove up his head coach rating pretty high. He was a top-20 head coach uh, in the preseason for us last year, and, and they – just completely missed the part, uh, missed the mark this year. We had them projected to be favored in nine games, only win seven and a half, but that was, uh, you know, third most in, in that division, fourth most in the conference uh, from a, a preseason standpoint. So it was, was definitely uh, disappointed in Florida State a little bit, like I think pretty much everybody was, but uh, Syracuse uh, was our, our biggest disappointment, especially in the athlete, uh, in the Atlantic. Uh, we were a little too high on Duke in the Coastal. Had them favored in eight games. We were higher than pretty much anybody else I've seen elsewhere, but uh, only had them projected to win about six and a half, and then they won five. So it wasn't a, a huge miss, but uh, we were we were higher on Duke than, than just about anybody, and, and they certainly uh, missed our projection. Uh, so just rounding out what happened last year here, uh, obviously Clemson, fourteen and one overall. Uh, they uh, finished ranked two. Louisville, eight and five overall, finished ranked forty-two. Wake Forest, 
eight and five as well, four and four in the conference. Florida State, like Nick mentioned, six and seven overall, four and four in the conference. Syracuse, a big, uh, terrible year for them, five and seven, two and six in the conference. Yeah. NC State, four and eight overall, one and seven in the conference. And Boston College, uh, six and seven, four and four in the conference. Then going over to the coastal, uh, Vatech finished at eight and five, five and three in the ACC. North Carolina, seven and six. Uh, four and four overall, Virginia nine and five overall, six and two in the conference. Uh, Miami six and seven, four and four in the conference, but hopefully they're going to be trending up with the Eric King. Uh, Pitt eight and five, four and four overall in the conference. Duke five and seven, three and five overall in the conference, and Georgia Tech uh, three and nine, uh, but two of those three wins in the conference. So um, not not and- a su- surprise. Go ahead. And just to, to clarify for for listeners, if, if those sound out of order based on their final record, that the, the uh, order that you're reading them in is, is our actual end-of-season uh, power rating. So even though Boston College went to a bowl game and, and technically finished ahead of both Syracuse and NC State in the Atlantic, uh, we had them as, as the weakest team uh at the end of the year and you know similarly uh pitt was was fifth on our uh power rankings for for uh the coastal virginia was third even though they won the coastal and and played uh clemson they got knocked down pretty heavily because they got blown out by clemson they lost to florida in the bowl game so they dropped a little bit where virginia tech moved up a little bit into that top spot in the division. North Carolina uh, played a lot of close games, had some good team performance ratings week to week, and then blew out Temple in the in the bowl game. That helped them a little bit as well. So that's why the order might sound a little weird if, if you were just looking at the standings uh, on ESPN or, or whatever. Uh, Xavier, what were your overall thoughts on the 2019 ACC? And be nice. I'm- <laughs> uh, I hate that you said that right before I started because I was just about to unload. Oh, what a terrible! <laughs> um, my pleasant surprises for last year has to be Louisville. I mean, obviously exceeding expe- um, expectation for us. You know, they went ahead and finished eight and five, went to a bowl game, and lost a nail biter last year. Um, when we thought that they were going to go four and eight, you know, they had a pretty good showing earlier in the year too. Uh, with Jawan Pass literally running all over everybody uh, to start the year off, it felt like um, to start off. Another one, another pleasant surprise for me was Pitt. Um, I didn't know much about Pitt coming into the year, uh, but definitely fell in love with the starting quarterback uh, and just fell in love with their style of play. Um, and you know, my favorite game, I think, in my top ten or twenty favorite games to watch last year was probably Pitt versus UCF. Uh, and I know that's a weird game to love, but it was just a really entertaining ball game, and uh, Pitt pulled it out. Um, Pitt was one of those teams, kind of like how I explained Iowa was last week, uh, or two weeks ago. No, no, last week, where I, they just kind of stayed around in games most of the time. Uh, you didn't really know, you know, they didn't capitalize, unlike Iowa did, on a lot of their abilities um, and possessions to win games. Uh, but um, I fell in love with Pitt last year. Biggest disappointments obviously have to go to FSU and Syracuse. Syracuse, we came into the year, and I remember the I remember the thing we talked about most in the preseason was that their defense got better. We were wrong. Uh, their defense got way worse, and you know that Maryland loss was the first kind of like, uh oh, this might be a bad season for Syracuse. So from there, they kind of just snowballed. 
Uh, you know, they didn't really perform the rest of the year. And I really like, and, you know, we came to the consensus. We really like Dino Babers. He just did not have his team ready to go. They just fell short in places we didn't expect him to. One game, it'd be offensively. The next game, it'd be defensively. And there was really no consistency there whatsoever. Um, and then uh, any, and then uh, in my other thoughts, and this is just me being petty, Georgia Tech sucked. <laughs> that was fun to watch. Um, you know, another year where, you know, it's a transfer of uh, transfer of offense. So we kind of expected them to be bad. We had them at 1-11, so they exceeded our expectations going 3-9. and nine. Good job. But um, overall, you could just tell that, you know, all year they just didn't have the, the personnel. They, did, they weren't ready for the transfer of power. It had to happen, you know, for them to move into the 21st century like we all were have been for a long time now. But um, it just didn't pan out for them this year. Uh, but it was fun to watch for a Georgia fan. I, I, I can honestly say it, it was it was awesome to watch. Um, and lastly, Virginia. I didn't know whether to put them in my surprises or disappointment. So I just kind of expected – uh, Virginia to do more with Bryce Perkins at quarterback and they let me down in some games where I thought that they had the games uh, you know by the scruff of their neck and they didn't do it you know the game against Notre Dame comes to mind obviously them losing to Virginia Tech comes to mind as well oh no even the bowl game against Florida I thought that they should have won that ball game but they just had too many errors against you know a team where you can't do that Uh, that really stopped them from pretty much being far better. They even started really well against Clemson um, and just took a dip, but it is Clemson, so I'm not totally surprised. But from uh, a fan perspective, I just expect Virginia to be a little bit more consistent and to have not as many errors as you expect. All right, moving on to this season, Nick. A lot of returning quarterbacks in this conference, surprisingly, uh, especially in the Atlantic where Clemson, Florida State, Louisville, uh, Syracuse, NC State, and Boston College all return quarterbacks. Wake Forest is the only team that doesn't. And then in the uh, Coastal, the, uh, you know Miami doesn't have a return quarterback, but they have Derek King coming in. Uh, North Carolina, Virginia Tech, Pitt all have their QB coming back. Virginia and Duke need a, a new starter, but Georgia Tech also has their guy coming back. So there's a lot of returning QBs here. But uh, starting off in the Atlantic, the preseason predictions uh, with uh, six returning offensive starters, including uh, Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne, and five returners on defense. It's Clemson. I mean, obviously they were in the natty and have been three years in a row now. So uh, I think that... They're um, they're easily the favorite in the ACC uh, overall. And then second and dropping all the way down to 29 and still the second highest ranked ACC team is Florida State. Uh, obviously, a lot of turnover here, uh, but we expect we expect Florida State to be much, much better. Uh, Louisville uh, third in the Atlantic, 38 overall. Uh, then we drop down to some middle-of-the-road teams as far as overall rank goes. Fourth and 63rd is Wake Forest. Uh, fifth and 75 is Syracuse. Sixth and 77 is NC State. And seven and 80 is Boston College. Uh, it's a, a bit of a closer running in the Coastal because Miami, North Carolina, and Virginia Tech are, uh, and Pitt are all ranked in the 30s here. Uh, then we drop down to Virginia and uh, Duke losing uh, starting quarterbacks. They drop down to 52 and 66, respectfully. And then, of course, Georgia Tech 
still rebuilding and uh, rebuilding and revamping, and uh, they're ranked 94 overall and last in the ACC. So, Nick, tell me about the expectations for the ACC in 2020. Well, I mean, it, it starts with Clemson, obviously. They're, they are uh, far and away the, the best team in the conference. Uh, if we were actually to calculate a, a point spread on a neutral field, uh, they would be a 22-point favorite over Florida State, who's our second-highest-rated team in the league. So uh, that's significant. I mean, it uh, shouldn't, shouldn't be a big shock based on what we saw last year. Clemson, of course, does have... Uh, a couple of spots where they are not necessarily elite uh, linebacker being one of them. I mean, you don't, you don't just replace somebody like Isaiah Simmons and, and they are uh, completely starting over from a, from a uh, starting standpoint, they're going to have uh, three new starters at linebacker. So fortunately they've recruited very well. They do have uh, a veteran group on the defensive line, uh, they've got talent at a, at a lot of different spots. So I think they're going to be fine defensively. And, and fortunately, uh, you know, they, they do have a talent advantage at just about every position uh, compared to their ACC rivals. So really, really high on Clemson. We've said before that uh, even though they're number two in our overall power rankings behind Alabama, that Clemson and Ohio State are almost in a virtual tie with the Crimson Tide. So uh, they are one of the top three teams in the country, and, and that group is pretty tight as far as our early, early numbers go. Uh, Florida State, you know, we were talking a little bit before the show. Uh, Xavier mentioned that, that he forgot that our numbers were as high as as they were on, on Florida State. And, and a, a lot of uh, projection models and, and things that do similar things that we do that incorporate uh, talent potential and, and recruiting rankings and things like that as a portion always are going to give Florida State sort of the benefit of the doubt. And I, I think that's something that impacted our ratings. And, and you know, we were uh, a little too high on them. A lot of, you know, football fans that, that rely a little bit more on the eye test uh, or, you know, didn't have faith in uh, Willie Taggart had Florida State ranked lower and, and they were proof right last year. Uh, they, they weren't uh, a top 25 team. And, and so I do, uh, I'm a little bit skeptical that they're the second best team in the ACC, but, you know, as from a, from a rating standpoint, uh, they have uh, a pretty good foundation and, and you know, uh, enough talented players, uh, some of which returned to school when they didn't have to. Tamari Ontario, the wide receiver, very, very good uh, one of the best receivers in uh, the ACC, and, and Marvin Wilson, who uh, is a potential, potential first-round uh, defensive tackle. Both of those guys could have gone to the NFL draft. They came back. Florida State, I think, defensively has a chance to, to be the best defense in the ACC. They are uh, experienced. If guys like uh, Hamsa, I'm going to screw it up, uh, <laughs> Nasir Ladeen, uh, my apologies. Uh, if he's able to come back healthy uh, after missing time last year, if Wilson's able to come back healthy, Joshua Kando, the defensive end, is a highly rated player, was very productive in 2018, but missed a lot of time last year. And, and Jaden Lars would be a linebacker, missed a lot of time last year, projected to, to come back and start this season. So if, if those guys are able to, to come out and play to their full potential, 
uh, as it seems we always say with Florida State, uh, the, the defense should be one of the top units in the ACC and then potentially, you know, a top 10 type unit uh, defensively. Questions at quarterback, as always. You know, the offensive line, if it, <laughs> you know, it seemed like it took a, a small step forward maybe last year, but uh, I mean, their offensive line performance rating uh, from last year was a 72. Point three eight, so that's you know well into the triple digits, and and just not a not a good unit on the field last year. If they can get a little bit more consistent quarterback play and and some uh, offensive line, you know, if they can get those guys moving in the right direction, they did get a uh, transfer from FIU, Devontae Taylor, who's probably going to step in and start at right tackle. Uh, hopefully that will help, but uh, they have the potential, I think, to be the second best team in the ACC. But uh, you know, I, I think there's uh, a, last year. I was very happy that we were lower on Miami than most. I think a lot of people picked them to win. Those that didn't pick Virginia, which of course we've talked about before, we were way too low on. Uh, if they didn't pick Virginia, they'd probably pick Miami to win the Coastal. We didn't. We had a middle of the pack, and and I was very proud of that. Uh, but this year, I, I'm a little bit of a Miami believer. I, I, we do have them as our highest-rated team in the Coastal. They rank 31st because of De'Aaron King and because Nikosi Perry is uh, pretty highly rated as well, despite his his obvious flaws. Uh, Miami has the number one-rated quarterback room in the country, according to our numbers. That seems off. Yeah, but, it does. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> and, you know, De'Aaron King... We sometimes forget 2018 scored 50 touchdowns and was one of the most exciting, explosive players in all of college football. And, and he certainly didn't play, you know, the the best of the best from a uh, competition standpoint defensively. But Derek King is a special player, has the potential to be a special player. And if he can carry that over, if he can have, you know, even 80 percent of uh, the production that he did in, in 2018, Miami is going to take a big step forward. So oddly enough, I believe in Miami a little bit more than I believe in North Carolina. I know a lot of people uh, are somewhat rightfully so really excited about Sam Howe, really excited about North Carolina as a whole. They welcome back nine starters on offense, 10 on defense. That's the most in the ACC. So, or excuse me, I got my, got my things mixed up there. I was looking at Virginia Tech. They do have nine starters on offense, but four only four on defense. So that's part of the reason why I'm I'm a little bit hesitant on North Carolina. But segue uh, a little late here. Virginia Tech, from an experience standpoint, uh, there's a lot to like, and and those those three in the coastal are packed in really tight. 31, 32, and 34 for Miami, North Carolina, and Virginia Tech. So uh, the coastal can go a lot of different directions. There are things to like about Pitt. There are reasons to believe that Virginia might not see a huge drop-off, especially if uh, I've heard some rumors that they're looking maybe at a grad transfer quarterback. I know uh, Jack Sears is taking a visit there, former USC uh, quarterback. So if they're, you know, if they're able to, to shore up that position, which there's also some reason to, to believe that Brendan Armstrong could be a, a solid quarterback, but uh, Virginia could get in the mix. But Duke... Georgia Tech, they both have a, a pretty long way to go. I'm really excited, actually, to watch Georgia Tech this year and see how much they can improve. Jeff Collins is, uh, is raising the talent level. He's brought in five transfers that are probably all going to start 
They are the second most experienced team uh, from a returning standpoint, pr- returning production standpoint, according to Bill Connolly's numbers. So I think they're going to take a big step forward. But uh, there was a big, big gap in the coastal between the six best team and then Georgia Tech last year. So they've got to kind of close that gap first before I think they can really climb up. But they'll be, they'll be fun to watch. I'm excited to see what they can do. Xavier, the ACC, what are your uh, initial thoughts for 2020? Well, it's Clemson's conference to lose. So let's start with that. Uh, but if we go through the rest of the teams, Florida State, I expect a lot from them this year. You know, for me, I think that obviously the Mike Norvell hire was the guy I wanted them to get. I think that it's a good hire for them. I think this this is the year that we need to start seeing some growth from Florida State. Um they bring back seven starters on both sides of the ball. We don't know necessarily what the quarterback situation is going to look like, um, whether that's going to be James Blackman or not. We'll have to find out. But regardless, with the amount, and I know me and Nick talked about it earlier, but with the amount of talent that they bring back, I feel like we've said this for at least like the last like 15 years. They have they, they have enough talent to compete for the, you know, the, the at least one A team in this conference. And, and it's a shame that they're on the same side as Clemson, but you expect them to be better than what they have been over uh, in recent memory. And I think that they can do that. I think Mike Norvell is going to be the guy to keep them disciplined on both sides of the ball. I hope they have uh, less mental lapses, which I think plagued them a lot last year, where a lot of defensive lapses and obviously lapses on the offensive line that got Blackman uh, sacked a lot. Um, as far as if they can, you know, you know, quell those things and, you know, be more disciplined and more consistent I see them being a lot better of a team in 20, uh, 2020. Louisville, I'm I'm waiting to see about Louisville. They're, they're a team that brings back a lot of talent, but last year they had ebbs and flows, where I think that coming 2020, once again, I'm going to say this word a lot, consistency will be key for them. Juwan Pass, he has to be the guy game in and game out. He can't have He's, them. Uh, Mikhail Cunningham is probably, I, I think, is going to, keep that job and pass okay. got injured early last year, but right. uh, Cunningham played, played really, really well, <clears throat> excuse me, really well. And pass, you know, started the season as the starter and he played could, well to start off. challenge. And he did, mm-hmm. uh, but Cunningham flashed, you know, some, some, he, he flashed a bit. So uh, at least I, that's a good problem to have. If you're Louisville, right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, when you look at the schedule, there's obviously some winnable games in there. You have the likes of Murray State and Western Kentucky to start off the year as well. However, that does come after playing at Clemson. So you get an opportunity to start off the year on a good outside of the Clemson game on a good on a good start. And that's always good for college football and for young kids, in my opinion. When you go to Wake Forest, they lose a lot of talent offensively. Let's just say like it is. They're losing <laughs> Jamie, you know, they're yeah. losing Jamie Newman. They lose a lot of talent. It's going to be difficult for them to stay in games uh, offensively, and they struggled to do it last year. You know, when they look, when you look at their season last year, offensively they had games where they were epic. I mean, I forget what game it was, but I re- remember vividly them rushing for I think it was four or five touchdowns, quarterback and running back, both doing it all on the ground. And then they had games where they were pedestrian at best, and it's just, you know, that was the case when they had senior laden guys. Now they're only bringing back three offensive starters. How inconsistent will they be in that in that regard on that side of the ball this year? Who's to see? Who's to say? Um, as far as defensively, once again, they're going to have to hold this team up. You know, they're going to have to be the focal point of this team, bringing back eight defensive starters. 
I like what I see out of them defensively. I just don't know, you know, defense is good, but if your offense isn't, you know, moving the ball, the defense isn't going to be able to do much in that regard. Um, when you look at Syracuse, NC State, and Boston College, I think we see three teams who, at least for Boston College, they're going to be losing their guy. A.J. Dillon is gone. You know, he, he's gone. And when you lose a guy with that much talent, when you lose your bell cow, who has pretty much put your team on his back, metaphorically and literally, for the last two to three years, that's really tough to, you know, to revamp, especially at a school like Boston College, who doesn't get, you know, amazing talent in there. They kind of have to grow their talent, you know, each and every about three years, three, four years, they get a guy, you know, and that guy can carry them for one or two seasons and then he's gone. And then they have to restart uh, for NC State. That's true. But Bailey was pretty good. Uh, last year I have to admit that because this is true uh, I mean I don't think he's as good as AJ Dillon of course but uh he and sometimes he looked like he was running in quicksand but uh <laughs> he he's he had some breakaway runs uh, a lot like AJ Dillon did so and he's built the same way so it, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what he can do as as the guy but AJ Dillon was was special yeah they at least don't have to change philosophies or anything it's not like going to uh, yeah rushing styles uh and they've got a a really good offensive line Uh, right a lot of guys coming back from it too so he's still a one-trick pony but uh (laughs) that trick is pretty good yeah so and then if we do go ahead and move on to the coastal Miami can Derek King put this team on his back and do what he has to do offensively to get them to where they have to go. I don't know. I'm I'm very skeptical of a guy coming into a season one year. I know he had 50 touchdowns two years ago, but this is Miami. This is the ACC, and he's gonna have a whole new test and challenges. You know, trying to succeed in this league, and it's gonna be tough. You know, I, Derek King is obviously a guy who we look at and is so talented, but is he good enough to? Help a Miami offense out that put up what was it six points against Florida Atlantic? So you know, can he help this offense that much? I'm not so sure about that. And you know, they've had so many struggles on the offensive line. We all remember the Florida game from last year that it might not even matter how good Derrick King is. You know, if he can't be upright, then who cares how good you are? Tom Brady could be back there and he'd get smacked around as well. Uh, so they're going to have to fix those two issues. Um, as far as North Carolina, they're going to be one of my favorite teams to watch. Um, obviously, they're bringing back so much offensive talent in a team that almost beat Clemson, but at the same time, I believe finished with six losses last year. So not the most consistent of teams, but their quarterback is fun. He's great to watch. He's a gunslinger, which always isn't a good thing, but he's also really fun to watch when it's going well. Uh, Virginia Tech, you've got to look at the talent that they're bringing back and think that they can at least compete in the coastal. You know, you bring back nine on offense, 10 on defense. They should be able to be a top three team. You know, Nick has, as we have it on the numbers right now, 31, 32, 34, and 39 are the FBS rankings for the top four teams in the coastal. That means this is going to be a really fun division. Yeah. That, that's you what know, I'm I, looking the most forward to watching. Yeah. Is Derek King at Miami and just seeing how much Sam Howell can improve in his second season. I think that's going to be a ton of fun to watch. Yeah, and we can't forget my favorite quarterback, and I'm not going to try to butcher his name because I don't want to you know, offend anybody, uh, but Kenny at Penn, uh, Penn State, Pittsburgh, is going to be somebody I'm looking forward to. Kenny Pickett is one of my favorite quarterbacks because of how physically he is. 
He reminds me of an old style quarterback where he doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if he gets punched in the mouth 16 times in a row. He's going to get up and try to give you his all once again. Pittsburgh's just a team, like I said about them earlier in the episode, that are going to stay in the ball game. They bring back six on offense, six on defense. That gives them an option to win the Coastal. This is going to be a division that is going to come down to probably late November, early December um, to decide who wins this division. I don't see anybody running away with this division whatsoever, and it's going to be fun. Uh, all right. I mean, what what else? Did, is there anything else to hit on the ACC, Nick, or did we uh, say it all here? Well, I, I do want to say NC State uh, had a really, really strange 2019 season. They had a lot of injuries, especially on the offensive line and the secondary uh, in particular, I mean, they were they were decimated in the secondary at parts of the year, uh, and they also started three quarterbacks, and and that was not a situation where injuries were an issue. They finally settled uh, on Devin Leary at the basically the second half of the year, uh, and he is back and, and is going to compete with Bailey Hoffman uh, for that job, uh, former Florida State and, and junior college uh, transfer. Uh, but NC State is a team that consistently sort of overperformed, and, and they had really done a good job of developing players, finding uh, sort of hidden gem type guys, and, and developing in, into in you know into NFL draft picks. Dave Doran and his staff had done a had a really strong track record for a little while, and last year they they kind of fell off a cliff in the second half mm-hmm. of the season, um, and you know there were some signs early that, that we probably uh, should have expected. Uh, that they weren't, you know, a top 40 type team, which I think a lot of projections uh, had them earlier in the year. We weren't super high on them, but uh, I, I thought they were, you know, a bowl caliber type team. And, and so it'll be interesting to see if they're able to bounce back because they've had a lot of guys transfer out, uh, two of which were starters last year. Um, so things don't necessarily seem like they're fixed and I'm, I'm, I'm curious uh, because it seemed like their culture and, and development and things like that was such a strength for a while. They seem like a, a team, especially with so many injuries last year that were a prime bounce back candidate, but they also only bring back four starters on defense. They've got the transfers going out and, and you know, the quarterback inconsistency last year, I, I'm just not sure if uh, I really want to, to consider them a bounce-back team. I, I think if mm-hmm. they can get back to a bowl game, but I don't know that this is a team that's going to challenge, you know, for the top half of the division like we thought they would, you know, year in and year out until last year. So uh, they're they're an intriguing team. Could go either way, could, could take some steps forward, or, or maybe this is a situation where it, uh, maybe we haven't seen the bottom quite yet if, if things get bad. Uh, from a culture standpoint uh, in, in 2020. Xavier, any final ACC thoughts? I just hope it's better than last year. You know, I think that, <laughs> you know, last year was rough for the ACC as a whole. I mean, when you have a team, nobody likes a runaway winner. You know, and, and yes, Clemson had that one nail-biter to, to um, North Carolina early in the you year. You would like a runaway winner if it was Georgia. Come on. No, honestly, I wouldn't. <laughs> Honestly, I wouldn't. I like stressing out about games. I know. Yeah, I but if you're a runaway uh, winner in your in your conference like that, you're probably making the playoff. So then yeah, you have some real competition. Make the anyways, you know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Must be. But nice. I mean, just teach your defenders how to tackle. Uh, <laughs> but I think you know, 
from a parody standpoint, we're just hoping that people rise to the occasion. That that's really it. Um, you know, last year everybody was around eight and five, barring Clemson, and that just means everybody got beat by everybody. And you know, that sounds like fun. People talk all the time how they want you know ultimate parody. That's ultimate parody for you. And let me tell you, by watching ACC games last year, it wasn't fun. They they took away the noon block like every Saturday. And it was a snooze fest. Um, you know, I just am hoping for, you know, and better names and better players to step up next year. So like a Sam Howell, um, you know, Florida State, whoever decides to be their starting quarterback, like a Derek King, you know, and getting the ACC. Like a Miami, like a Virginia Tech, like a, uh, a Florida State, you know, to where we can now see where the ACC is going in the next, you know, five, you know, four or five years, you know, something or other like that. So. Um, who is Nick? Who's most likely to beat Clemson in their schedule this season? Themselves. <laughs> well, it's definitely that's themselves a, if they lose. Yeah, right? that's I mean. a pretty that's a pretty good answer. Um, it any I, I I'm I'm a little bit at a loss because we've seen Clemson be susceptible. They lost to Syracuse. Before they lost to Pitt before too, they just lost did not. North Carolina last become. year, yeah, absolutely. Right. And and so uh, you know they they play Virginia in the in the uh, regular season next year. They travel to Boston College. They travel to Florida State. So there there are some tricky spots potentially. Uh, they do travel to Notre Dame. I. I yeah, I think that's a game though that if they were to lose that and, and go eleven and one, it's probably not going to cost them uh, a shot at the, the college football playoff. But you know, who, who knows? Depending on what else happens and, and if the ACC is as bad as it was last year, if their you know strength of schedule numbers and all that uh, are so horrible, that it could be a uh, an issue. But I don't know. I mean, I, I think the most obvious is traveling to Florida State. Uh, on October 10th as the, you know, the biggest uh, trap. But we've seen Clemson struggle with a a team at random before, and and it's happened at home before. So it could be, you know, it could be Virginia. It could be Wake Forest at the end of the year. It's hard to say. But just, you know, first thought, I don't really see them losing an ACC game this year. It, It will be a big... Uh, a big upset if it happens, probably, as I said, I mean, they're 22-point favorites, according to our numbers, over the, the number two team in the league. So chances are, if they're going to lose a game, it'll be at least as a double-digit favorite, probably a two-touchdown or more favorite. So we're not going to see it coming, I don't think. Xavier, who wins the Coastal? Oh, why would you put me on the spot like that? <laughs> um, I'm definitely going to hold you to your answer on March I, I, 4th. So. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you guys still hold me to admission. <laughs> That's, true. That's true. We do. I'm gonna mean- go north. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go North Carolina. North Carolina. That's where I I'm gonna go too. Miami. Sam yeah, Howell. I don't trust Miami. Yeah, let's go, Sam Howell. I think he'd be the only other guy in the conference other than Trevor Lawrence who could win the Heisman, depending on how well North Carolina played this year uh, or next year. So yeah, I'm gonna go North Carolina. Me too. Nick, would you stick with the ratings and take Miami, or do you have a gut feeling about uh, Miami, North Carolina, or Vautech, uh, since they're all within three spots of each other nationally ranked? When I did my my initial, like what I was guessing the, the ratings would be, I had Virginia Tech as the top 
rated team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I that was before Derek King though, so I, I I understand why Miami is is rated a little bit higher. Virginia Tech, their schedule sets up decently well. They play Virginia at home, Miami at home. Uh, they do have to go to North Carolina, so that that's uh, you know that that's going to be tricky. North Carolina, the one thing that scares me about their schedule. They play at Miami, and it's the week after they play at Duke, which uh, normally, you know, I mean, you could count the people in Wallace Wade Stadium, but uh, it's it's on the road two weeks in a row, which is not – obviously, they could walk to Duke, so that's not an issue. But but uh, the fact that it's a rivalry game, I think, is, is a little bit of uh, something. You're playing on the road two weeks in a row and, and taking the big trip down to Miami to play what probably is going to be the preseason favorite – that makes me, I think, side with Miami over North Carolina. Uh, Virginia Tech, though, I, I think is going to be a tough out. And I think they have uh, probably the most, from a defensive standpoint in the league, This you mentioned that that there are so many quarterbacks returning in the, in the ACC, and that's certainly important. Uh, and on the flip side, Virginia Tech having 10 starters back on defense and the league as a whole uh, is less experienced on that side of the field. So I think that gives Virginia Tech a little bit of an edge and then that they play Miami at home uh, as opposed to North Carolina playing them on the road, I think is important. So uh, I think that I would give Miami a slight edge, but I, I think Virginia Tech, I like their chances just a tiny bit more than North Carolina. It's going to be fun. I mean, I, I – wouldn't have been surprised if we all picked three different answers and they would all yeah. be equally as correct. So uh, going to be a lot of fun, but that is going to wrap it up for us on the ACC preview. Like I said, next week we got a first-year head coach draft. That should be a fun exercise to do. And then uh, following that, we're going to start getting into some of the G5 teams. So uh, be sure you're following us on Twitter, at Bogman Sports for me, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick and at Xavier underscore Trish T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. And we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. CFB Winning Edge is a Patreon-supported outlet. The more support we receive, the more value we're able to bring to our listeners, readers, and users. There are several projects on our wish list for the 2020 college football season, including written previews, a weekly newsletter, and expanded podcast schedule. However, we can't grow without your support. Join us at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge for details.